Welcome to the Need More Buffs podcast, the unofficial Light Seekers podcast sponsored by DeliveryCrab.com. DeliveryCrab.com, your number one source for Light Seekers cards and three points of healing. Hello and welcome back for episode three, which is part three of our introductory series here on Need More Buffs. I'm your host, Matt Sonnenberg. If you've been following along in episodes one and two, you know we've been talking with Chris and Benny, the creators of the Lightseekers trading card game. And now it's time for Benny to share with us the deck that he's brought along. I wasn't expecting this, but looking back, I'm really glad that Benny decided to go this direction. He's brought us a cross-order deck. This is a deck that literally crosses between two different orders and starts to mix the cards together. It's not something that I would teach a beginner necessarily, but as an introduction, I love that this is going to start to show off the depth that Lightseekers has. I love Lightseekers just on... On the surface, I think it's a great game already, but it has a lot of depth to it as well. And I think this is going to help you start to understand why that is. As always, if you want to follow along with the show, you can head over to deliverycrab.com slash 003. There you will find the show notes for this episode, which contains a full deck list, links to all the cards, everything you need, contact information. It's all going to be there for you, anything related to this episode. With that being said, I hope you're as excited as I am to talk about this deck. So let's get right into it. Let's move on to Benny's deck. <laughs> yeah. And I, I I think, well, we'll let you run down the card list first. And then before you get into too much explanation, um, yeah, we'll, we'll have a few things to cover. So uh, go ahead <laughs> yeah. and uh, give us your card list. All right. So it's a, uh, it is an astral primarily, well, astral tech deck. Um, the cards are, hero is uh, Cassini. So it's Superior Lunar, 31 health. Uh, the five combo cards are Black Hole, Anti-Gravity Field, uh, Phase Shift, Tidal Shift, and Star Blast, the Astral Tech cross-order combo. Uh, solar cards, uh, only five of them. Uh, two Blinding Beetles. Oh, sorry, six of them. Uh, two Mage Chips, one Dawnstalker, and one Astral Priest. Uh, lunar cards... Uh, a lot more. Nine. We got three Dusk Feeders, two Yukon Oracles, two Flying Fortresses, and two Skyward Observatories. And in Gravity, uh, your typical three Pathfinders, uh, two Chimchu Infiltrators, one Anti-Gravity Snail, one Zeppelin Scout, one Spectral Guide. Um, a few Unaligned Cards. I have Creeble Infiltrator, Umbron Marauder, and a Tantosian Blacksmith. And finally, some Time Cards. Uh, one Flynamo, two Time Chambers, and one Fountain of Time. All right. So, <laughs> <laughs> obviously, like, this isn't just all from one order, which... No. I I haven't tried out myself yet. I have some ideas that, I, I mean, the deck is, well, b- besides being completely different cards, like, that, just the, I guess, ratio of cards is probably about the same as yours is right now. Um. But the the whole, what I refer to as cross-order, do, do you have a term for this? 
Uh, yeah, we just call them cross, cross order. order. Cross yeah. order. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, th- do you even explain this to people when you're just introducing the game to them that you can uh, do this whole cross order thing? Not really. So uh, when when demoing to a new person, we kind of uh, we start with the core rules and then we repeat those rules as we play the game and we typically don't even touch items at all yeah like we don't mention items in the first game someone plays yeah because they're not in the starter decks yeah Yeah. so quite often people who played a lot of card games before will often ask like Mm -hmm. can i can i mix these up can i combine them in some way and that point we mention items uh or if someone really seems to grasp it and kind of like this person really nailed it (laughs) then we can expand on like some other cool things you can do is use and then we show them some item cards. Yeah. Use these for these. You don't you don't require the element to play these. You get the element when you play them. Um, and then kind of talk about a few of the, the potential combinations you can do, and also about the cross order combos, which is the first. Mm-hmm. I mean, when people first look at the cards, like the first thing will typically draw a person to cross order decks is the cross order combos. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's kind of just here's how you can play those cards, and the step beyond that is then combining action cards across different orders. Uh, but yeah, so by, um, for those who don't know, by equipping an item, uh, you get the element of the item added to your hero. So for example, by equipping the Fly Nemo, which is a time item, uh, my hero now has access to time and can play time cards. But j- just to clarify as well, since it doesn't have that gold ring, it's still only the basic time power, correct? Yes. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So if I have Fly Nemo equipped, I can play one time card per turn because Fly Nemo is not superior time. If you had, say, Chrono Wrangler, uh, which is a superior time item, then you can now play two item cards per turn. Yeah. Two time cards. Oh, yes, sorry, two time cards, not two <laughs> items. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, you also need to have the uh, the element accessible if you want to pay for a cross-order combo. So for example, in my case, I have Star Blast, mm-hmm. which requires any Astral card and any Take card as payment. However, I must have access to the element I'm using as payment. So I can't play Star Wars unless, and I can't pay for it with say, a time card unless I've access to time element. Yeah, so you, you you wouldn't be able to like pay for it with the Fly Nemo. No, it, 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 not unless you have another Fly Nemo. Quick, yeah. <laughs> that's true. That's true. H- have you played with a lot of cross order decks? Uh, yes. Oh yeah. Yeah, <laughs> okay. there are. Yeah, there are a few. There are a few triple order decks on the table right yeah, now. Dave, Dave's got a, a four, hasn't he? Uh, yeah, Dave has a four order deck. <laughs> wow. Where eventually, he swaps out one of the items for. Fourth order. Yeah. Uh, played a few four order Lexi decks. They're here that can be at three points equipped. Uh, I mean, back in the old, old day, like we can talk about this more later, the old versions of the game, but uh, yeah. we've had quite a few like crazy four order decks. <laughs> and uh, as a future teaser, we will also be releasing heroes that by default have multiple orders on them. Yeah. I, I have heard rumors about those. <laughs> uh, but the, like, how hard do you find it to actually get those items out there? I mean, not only get the items out there, but then get the cards from the other orders. Yeah. So the uh, so I mean, some of the challenges when some of the challenges you typically always face when making a crossover deck is that uh, based on how many cards of the other order you have and how reliant you're on that strategy, you want to have more or less weapons or more fewer weapons. Uh, that support it, uh, or Tantosian Blacksmith to help you out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Tantosian Blacksmith is a card that lets you search your deck or your hand for an item card, equip it, and get one more action. So you, you lost a card, uh, but you didn't lose an action, so you can still take two actions after that. Yeah. Uh, you could, in theory, use the item as well, because you didn't play the item, you just equipped it. Um, 
And uh, if you have a lot of cards from that, or maybe we've seen quite a few uh, play, people in the office that make their first cross of the deck, what a common mistake people make is they take one item and like seven cards from that order, <laughs> and then they just draw them in the wrong order. They just draw all the soul cards before they do the soul yeah, weapon, for example. Yeah. Uh, so you, you kind of want to have the ratio of item or item drawing cards to the amount of cards you need to play fairly straightforward. Uh, if so you just go for do, the you, do you have a ratio in mind um, that you use? It depends. It depends. Uh, not really. So if I'm if I'm playing action cards, I tend not to try to go beyond like five of a different order, okay. um, and then two items if I'm relying on those. Uh, people often go for Tartosian Blacksmith over a second item, mm-hmm. uh, whereas I'm always kind of worried about getting the item removed by say Crushing Blow, and that <laughs> just completely screws my deck up. Uh, so a second item can also be used as payment for a combo. Uh, so if you're just going for the uh, cross-order combo, then I often just take I take two items, maybe one third card. So I might have if I'm just playing, looking to play Star Blast, I might take two Flynomos, equip the first one, use the second one's payment. And until I draw that second one, I just use Star Blast as a wild card because it still has Astro on it, so I can use that as a wild card payment for any Astro element. Sure. Um, so so w- when using a, a, a cross-order combo for payment like that, it, it it only counts at like it can count as any element in that order, but it's yeah, but only, only for one one instance. Like yes. yeah. So e- even if the card costs like two gravity, it only counts for one of the gravity. Yes, great. Okay. Uh, but yeah, so the uh, the ratio is something to be careful with. Like uh, I'm not gonna try to say that I have a perfect ratio in mind. It depends a lot on deck and how valuable those other cards are for you. If it's like for a miracle play, like for example. Uh, I play a lot of crossword decks with mimicking horrors. Yep. Just uh, to duplicate a combo effect. Uh, <laughs> Honestly, that's one of the first things that came to my mind when I thought about, thought about building crossorder. Yes. Vine Lash mimicking horror. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then Forest Mend it back to your hand. <laughs> yeah, but for example, in that case, like, if I lose the item, I might. If my wing condition is mimicking horror on a Vine Lash, it's quite a niche wing condition to begin with. Sure. Uh, so I might not worry too much about losing the Mimicking Horror access in that deck, and so I might not go overboard with Shadow Weapons just for that play, unless it is something I can use. Let's say I have a lot more buffs that Mimicking Horror could be played on. Uh, all the ones that come to mind now are future cards that I should mention. Yeah, you better say, uh, okay, well, uh, <laughs> yeah. I know what you're thinking about, yeah. Yes, a certain 18. Uh, yep. <laughs> but yeah, so... Uh, so like, it depends on how reliant you are on them determines the uh, the ratio, really. So, for example, in this case, I have only one Flynomo, and I have one Tantosian Blacksmith. Uh, if someone removes my Flynomo, it's not the end of the world, because I also have Chimchu Infiltrators, and they can bring it back from the discard pile. Sure. If I, if I didn't have those, then I would bring a second Flynomo instead of the uh, Tantosian Blacksmith. Okay. That makes a lot of sense, yeah. So, um, now that we kind of got that, that the whole cross-order and item debacle out of the way <laughs> yeah uh, what kind, are you trying to do <laughs> yeah kind of go in, in, in into the same thing we did with chris and w- yeah so, w- where uh, did you start with this deck and why did you put these cards in there uh i mean the start of the deck was uh, at the very first because I've, I've always liked flying fortress as a card i like i like winning with things that aren't attack cards or damaging cards per se like for example drawing defend cards onto flying fortress it's just something that i find fun to be honest yeah uh, and so, to be perfectly honest I, I i i i thought that was interesting too and 
I've tried building an astral deck mul- multiple times, and like the, that's one of my favorite cards to get out there and play. But I I have yet to have any kind of success with astral, so I, I'm very interested yeah. to see. Yeah. So uh, so this one, uh, it's uh, I would say it's more of a multiplayer deck as a as a preface for this. Like, okay, it does better in multiplayer than one on one. It does alright in one on one. Like I've been I've been winning quite a lot of games with it today, for example, playing over lunch. Um, but it's typically better when people don't focus all their attention on you, <laughs> um, and also when they slow play a bit. Like uh, one thing, another thing with items. Bear in mind is that if you rely on the item until you draw it, you're quite vulnerable. Uh, sure. If I'm just drawing heavily to get the item, in the meantime, my opponent might have been pushing me down. Uh, so it, it might say you suffer against a rush deck, for example. Um, but I mean, the yeah, uh, there was a so the reason I made this deck is. Uh, Somewhat nostalgia as well. Like in the olden days, uh, Flying Fortress <laughs> didn't have clunky corners. It just wow. always did two damage if you drew a defend card. Okay. Uh, and I was playing a lot of Flying Fortress back then. Uh, we added the clunky corners as a result of those decks, uh, but I kind of want to just relive the, the era again, to be honest. <laughs> uh, so I start off with uh, three Flying Fortresses and uh, uh, not as reliant on tech. Uh, but another card I always ties in with, if I have a lot of defend cards, then Time Chamber in tech uh, is a good card to go with that. So it's a card that is a, is a buff with a corners cross 2-2-3, two, two, and it does rotation damage uh, when you perform a defend action. So play defend card or use defend ability. So, for example, in the second corner, if I use the defend, my target takes two damage as well. Yeah. Uh, and obviously because I'm drawing a lot of defend cards with my four flying fortresses' sake, I have a lot to play as well to then dish out damage with. Uh, and Flynemo ties in very well <laughs> to that because Flynemo has a defendability, uh, which if I'm on less than 20 health, I get one healing, uh, which is important for another card I'll mention later. Uh, but the more important thing is it's a defendability that also gives me one action. So even if I'm not above 20 health, I can still use my Flynemo to just defend for one more action and I'll have two actions again. Uh, but importantly, it triggers a corner on a time chamber, I can still play two more cards. So the, uh, there are kind of two win conditions with this deck. Like There are a few attack cards in here just because for a while I was a bit too heavy on defense and healing, and if <laughs> my plays with those specific buffs failed, I had nothing left. Yeah. Uh, so there are a few attack cards here to pad damage a bit. There's Astral Priest just to have a bit of solar because I need to have certain elements on top as well. So I just need to be able to channel it into other cards. So I have Astral Priest, Anti-Gravity Snail, uh, and I have uh, some fly- uh, sorry, some Mage Ships and the Dawnstalker. In addition to the combos, of course. But the kill, the main kill criteria uh, or win condition for the deck is either killing with Flying Fortress and Time Chamber or uh, with a phase shift, uh, the gravity-gravity combo. Um, so the uh, I'm not sure where to start, to be honest. Uh, the uh, worth mentioning here is the Observatory plays a big role in this as well. So there are two Observatories yeah. in here. On the second and third corner, they increase all damage and healing done by two. Um, so if you have a Flying Fortress in play, or if you have a Time Chamber in play, the damage they deal are increased by the Observatory. Uh, so for example, just example plays. So this is one I did um, when we went to... It was the Expo called last one went to? Gen Con. You know, in Manchester, I'm trying to think. It's, oh, uh, um, play, play Expo? Play Expo, yeah. Yeah, so uh, we did a... So we had a, a long multiplayer game there, which kind of ended in the most perfect way of my deck, which was uh, uh, two time chambers in play, uh, an observatory. Uh, so the turn kind of went, 
if I remember correctly now, uh, Flynamo, um defendability triggers one time chamber in the third corner, or fourth corner for a three, and uh, the second time chamber in two, uh, plus the uh, observatory. Plus the observatory. So just activating Flynamo for one more action dealt nine damage, so five and four. Uh, the actions then, Blinding Beetle, defend card which heals me for five because observatory, and triggers that mm-hmm. nine damage again. Um, Followed by Dusk Feeder, which now heals me for nine because of the observatory, and triggers the nine damage again. And finishing off with Astral Priest for six plus a two damage from observatory for another eight. Um, so that's 26 damage and uh, 14 healing. <laughs> um, and yeah, a bit of a miracle play, obviously, but. Uh, yeah. It's uh, it's kind of lining those up and using chim chim filtrates to get the cards back if you lose them. Like it relies heavily on the time chambers in particular. Like the uh, the flying fortress is nice, uh, especially if lined up with a. I tried to have them lined up with an observatory, uh, but the main kills tend to come from either a time chamber or if I'm low on health uh, from a phase shift, which is the other mm-hmm. potential win condition there. Um, so because I have so much defend in here, I have a lot of healing. Um, phase shift is a Gravity gravity combo, which has cross four four uh, sorry four five five, and it does rotation healing uh, rotation damage when I heal for one or more. Um, so similarly to uh, tying Flynamo with the uh, time chamber, you can do it with a phase shift as well. Uh, if I'm below twenty health, I can use Flynamo to heal for one, which triggers the four or five damage from phase shift, and I can then follow up with blinding beetles and dusk feeders and whatever else I might have. Uh, if anything else here, now that I think about it. Um, so it's also a good way to trigger that, like a few big hits in one single turn. So I could, in theory, dish out uh, 15 damage on one corner of a phase shift as well. Uh, and while those are three defense, if I also have a time chamber in play or an observatory as well, then again, the combined spikes become really big. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So it's, uh, uh, it is a deck that. Uh, struggles a little bit early game because you kind of want to have the cards that line up together. Uh, that's why it's good in multiplayer because people tend to be preoccupied with a bit more of attack <laughs> and defend and as opposed to just beating you down. Uh, so you get the time to draw those cards. Uh, and then luring out the spells is always a good tactic. Like uh, I'd rather someone remove my phase shift than my time chambers, for example. Sure. Uh, time chambers are so key. And also, the fountain time in there, I can use the fountain time as a defend action to rotate the time chambers back again <laughs> if I need to. So I hit for the three in the last corner and set them back to yep. the first two. Yep. Um, also worth mentioning, he's got a Zeppelin Scout in there as well, I think. And you, uh, see, yes. you can have a peek at the next six cards and reorganize them to stack the fens, or not if you've got the Observatory and the Flying Fortress play lined up. So you can force that play to happen, or if the next six cards aren't great, you can obviously reshuffle. Yeah, so yeah, similar to... Um, I mean, for example, one player did, actually just today, playing as Chris over lunch, was uh, Anti-Gravity Field, which does a nice spike of damage, and it also draws a card face up. Uh, <laughs> so you can play that onto a Flying Fortress. So you hit for the potential 14 with Anti-Gravity Field, draw a card, which could trigger the Flying Fortress, and then because you played a combo, you draw another card, which could trigger Flying Fortress <laughs> again. Sure. Um, he didn't so, draw a defender with the last card, the combo no, card. That was, that it, was it one of Yeah, it was an observatory as well. Yes, it was, it was crazy damage. So 16 plus the 4. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so Zeppelin Scout is a... Often undervalued card, mm. like mm-hmm. it doesn't do any healing, doesn't do any damage. It's pure utility, so which is why it tends to be overlooked. Like the, the thirty-five slots you have are valuable. Like you don't want to run out of cards. Uh, but what I use it for here is to optimize my yeah flying fortress and time chambers. So that 
before I put in a Flying Fortune Observatory in play, for example, to try to line up those spikes, then I can use Zeppelin Scout to make sure all the next cards I'm going to draw onto the observatory are going to be defend cards. Uh, or if it's early game, is my flying mode among the next six cards? <laughs> if not, reshuffle. Sure. Um, so Zeppelin Scout lets you either reorganize the next six cards or reshuffle the whole thing. Yeah, that, I, I would definitely say I, I, I've kind of wondered, I, I've been waiting for someone to actually use it in a game to see what they do with it and such, but I, I haven't added it, to, added it to a deck yet. I haven't, like, it, it, it even puts in there that you can uh, look at any hero's deck. Yes. H- have, have you ever used it on anyone else? Um, very few times, I have to admit. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's mostly, I already have the play I know what I want to do. Let's see if they could, dis- and I, if, do they have any dispels coming up soon? That's sure. the kind of thing you're looking for. Uh, or if you're low on health, like, do they have a killing blow coming up? Um, it's, so it's, it's used a lot less yeah, than other people. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's most of like my stuff. But the yeah, the exception is I already have the cards I want. I have all the defense I need to trigger my uh, my time chambers. I have observatory. I don't really care what I have coming up. What I do care about is not getting those dispelled. So I yeah. look at your next six cards. Is there a dispel card in there? If yes, let's reshuffle your deck or put it to the bottom. Oh, of those six. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's mostly for postponing dispel cards. Okay. Uh, because the like mid- avoiding damage is always, is kind of sketchy anyway in that approach. Because they obviously have cards in their hand, you can't see. They might have the damage regardless. Sure. Um, but yeah, and in addition to that, it's also a defender card. It triggers flying fortress. <laughs> I can play it onto Flynemo even if I don't care. Oh, sorry, a time chamber. Uh, the same goes with Tantosian blacksmith. If I were to have my item out there, I can use Tantosian blacksmith just as a defend to trigger Flynemo and get me one more action, so I can defend again, which could be using Flynemo one more <laughs> action. I could. If they defend four times in one turn, very true. Uh, so last corner, time chamber on an observatory could be four hits of five, so twenty damage. Um, yeah. And then I say kind of, uh, uh, but yeah. So uh, so keeping those safe is really important, and I tend to use like mage ships and so on more to lower the spells than actually rely on the damage. At times it can be great, like mage ship with seven, I could use the fountain time to move them backwards again for another seven next turn. Uh, not be scoffed at, obviously, uh, but it's mostly that I don't want to rely on just a small handful of buffs to to win the game because if those are all the buffs I have, then those are the only buffs that will get dispelled. Sure. Uh, but yeah, as a little caveat, is the reason I picked Cassini is that a she has a little bit more health than usual, thirty-one, just a bit of a buffer to get me to keep me living until I get the the right plays up. Uh, but also, worst case scenario. Cards that are no longer useful to me can be discarded for three damage. Uh, so her hero power is ability discard one card to deal three damage to another hero. Yeah. Uh, so for example, if I have Flyme equipped and I get a Tatosian Blacksmith, I can just throw that away for three. Uh, not the most value, but it's something. Yeah. So definitely. as we mentioned, just to t- touch on that hero again is, um, for example, with like Pathfinder, it can remove uh, one buff or two if if Luna's on top. Um, and usually, if you haven't got dust feeders like flying fortress, um, observatories, and stuff, and Yakona oracles, they take time to expire and get lunar on top. Yeah. Whereas Cassini, in a pinch, if Benny needed to dispel two things right now, he could opt to first action discard a lunar card, and then that enables his pathfinder to do two buffs, not one. Whereas it might look as an opponent, so oh, he's got three turns where he can dispel me before that lunar card runs out. So you can actually force some gra- um, some astral last discarded element plays as well, which is quite 
Yeah, so, uh, yeah. Well. yeah, so I often find myself discarding uh, Econ Oracles or Dusk Feeder, depending on what <coughs> is to be removed. For example, if someone has a buff in play, they will do more than 7 damage to me. Removing that is better than playing Dusk Feeder anyway. So I'll discard Dusk Feeder for 3 damage and then follow up with Pathfinder. I like it. That that would have come in handy a few times, actually, in some of my games. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and then, like, a, yeah, so uh, found on the Creeble Infiltrator, I like to just have a card <laughs> to do a big hand sizes because so many people love drawing big hands. Okay. Uh, and Creeble Infiltrator will either just chip away at them while they do so yep. or become a dispel target, which leaves my time chambers a bit safer. And, obs- and Observatory can cheekily buff it to, to four damage as well yep. in the right situations. Increases all damage done by two, and that does two as well at the start of your go, so... Might even hit for four. Very true. Yeah, I that that was kind of like my next question. Like that, the the blacksmith. I obviously understand why he's in there, but I when I see people constructing decks, there there is I mean an understandable lack of unaligned cards, and I always yeah. kind of wonder like what is your motivation to actually put them in there? Because obviously you can't use them to pay for combos or anything like that, so you have to take up card slots. And then I see you here. I, I guess you you do only have one one of each of these unaligned cards in there. So it, yeah. it's not taking up a lot, but the fact that on top of the blacksmith, you did choose to put both like the infiltrator, which you just explained, and then the marauder in there. Like, yeah, so the uh, yeah the Marauder is easier to justify here. The Marauder is, because I have a slow early game where I kind of tend to build up my hand, uh, Marauder's Defend card, so yep. it can trigger Time Chamber. I did notice uh, that. And Flying Fortress. And Flying Fortress when I draw it. Uh, and it can then follow up with six more damage. So if I could hit for, if they have, yeah, if I have enough Time Chamber in play, I could hit for the two damage there plus a six from Marauder if I'm behind at that time. And then I start healing up with the other Defend cards. Uh, okay. Uh, obviously, it's worth bearing in mind that it can catch up that one of the little intricate rules here is that the buffs trigger before the effect on the card. So uh, the time chamber could, in theory, bring down your target to lower health on you before the Umbron <laughs> kicks in and then hits you for six. So Very make true. sure there are uh, three or more health above you when you play it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the I mean, design space mostly around online cards is generic counter cards. Like, uh, they are effects that deal with relatively common or relatively widely spread uh, tactics and card types. Uh, so the idea with these cards is to give every order access to counter some of the more common strategies. Sure. Uh, for example, Creeble Infiltrator, like the, there's no hand limit in this game. You can draw all 35 cards into your hand if you want to. <laughs> uh, so that's why there are some online cards to deal with the fact that people could do so. So everyone has a way to counter someone just drawing cards. If there wasn't for that, then the most effective way to play the game would be to draw until you have just <laughs> the right cards you need to have to kill someone and then just burst it out. I Absolutely. To play, play one, draw one, play one, draw one. Uh, but cards like Creeble Infiltrator, Umbron Informant, uh, and Creeble Jester are kind of the ones there to decentivize someone from doing so. Like, yes. If I played someone who clearly doesn't have one of these cards, the next match against them, I'll just draw heavily, like super heavily. Yeah. Um, because it tends to it tends to be really valuable. I mean, for example, against the uh, one of my tactics against the ignorant deck, which doesn't have one, uh, was that I just let him sit on thirty five health for the first three quarters of the game, so that his hero power can't do anything. <laughs> and then when I know I have about fifty damage in my hand, then I start playing cards. Yeah. Um, so I mean, uh, that's what I'm trying to get around with those online cards. So Umbrella Informant is great when playing aggressively because I can just draw. 
like you could draw maybe like six, seven cards in theory, which is insane value. Uh, or Infiltrator, because in this case, A, it helps me fight back against big hands a bit. It encourages them to not play the most optimal cards. They play them more steady pace instead. Uh, but it's also dispel target at that point. If they won't draw a big hand, they might dispel it. Sure. Uh, so I rarely take more than like three unlined cards in the deck because they can't be paid for combos. Mm-hmm. Um, so it depends on... And the, when it comes to... I mean, one thing I'll mention about like the... Uh, competitive side of things is that uh, for one of the formats we'll have sideboarding and online cards are probably going to be one of the main things to put in there. Yeah. Uh, if you're playing against rush decks and having unruly mobs, if you're playing against item decks having weapon masters and so on. Yeah, that, that, that I know that has been a big question when, when I've been talking with people at my local card shop that you know they've obviously played other games and other games competitively and it's one of the first questions that comes up. Is like, is there a sideboard? I uh, yeah, so maybe, haven't heard yeah, we look at a few different formats, and one yeah. of them is sideboard. Okay, uh, with the sideboard, sorry. Um, but yeah, there also cards like um, uh, Closer Artifact is one that <laughs> yeah. we we weren't using much in the beginning. Like it was kind of occasionally put into a deck, uh, but more and more recently, I kind of started just putting one Closer yeah. Artifact in every deck mm-hmm. just so, in case. So useful. Like if someone plays a Storm Shaman. Just put out the close artifact, and you kind of <laughs> undid the whole thing, and yeah, yep. a few more, a bit more protection for later turns. Yeah. Uh, worth mentioning is it, it only blocks or caps damage from action cards, not combos, so you can't get around like a vine lash with it. That's a common mistake we've seen. Yeah. Uh, so it's action cards only, but it's great against things like prism cannons, uh, dawn stalkers, anything to do with storm shamans or cluster ritual sites. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's uh, it's versatile card to avoid being spiked out, like it's. Uh, other than fast forwarding and dispelling, it's like the counter to things like storm shamans. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I guess any last comments about this deck? Things to watch out for? Um. The. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's it's a tricky one. It's uh, yeah, valuable cards definitely are time uh, time chambers and uh, observatories. Yep. Uh, flying fortress. Is valuable if you get out early enough, and then try to draw onto a observatory. Uh, there are some combos in it to help with draw as well. For example, uh, title shift uh, is healing and draw two cards. So if you heal, if you play that onto an observatory and flying fortress, you get bonus healing plus you draw three cards in total: two from the combo and one, or two from the card and one from playing a combo itself. And those three could, in theory, all set off the the flying fortress onto an observatory. Yeah. Uh, there's some uh, crossover things to keep in mind, like there's a lot of gravity. Uh, with the exception of Tower Shift, there's gravity in all the other combos. Uh, Black Hole is kind of a uh, last way out card, mostly against things like Dread and Nature, to clear the board if things are getting, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> getting a bit rough. Uh, but yeah, early game is the trickiest part. Uh, like If you survive for long enough, it tends to win. Uh, Sometimes that's all you need to do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and don't yeah, don't waste uh, chim chim filtrators on things because those are mainly there to make sure you can actually kill some at the end. Sure. Uh, and last resort is not forgetting about Cassini's here power because there have been quite a few times when I'm kind of running out of steam, but I can just hit for three now and throw away these cards that, like Zeppelin Scout late game doesn't do anything. It's throw it over three damage. Uh, same with uh, Tantos and Blacksmith and so on. Uh, like there are probably a few things I I would eventually tweak if I played it a lot more. Um, but yeah, early game is where it's at its weakest. 
because uh, you don't really want to play those healing cards until you have a time chamber in play. So even though you could heal, you don't want to. Uh, and also, in multiplayer, it tends to work best. All right. Sounds good. Well, uh, oh, actually, uh, one other thing, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, any, any double value effect as well is great to have with uh, Observatory. Like, Star Blast is a great combo with Observatory because both the damage and the healing get buffed. Uh, good point. So it's, uh, yeah... Every time you play anything that increases power, like Alchemy Lab, or damage and healing, like Observatory, is great to have any card that does a bit of both. Sure. All right. Well, thank you both, Chris and Benny, for coming on the show today. Um, if people would want to get in touch with you, is there any easy way to do that? Uh, yeah, probably best is like social media. Like um, I'm on Twitter, Chris, uh, Chris Long Dev, and Benny. Can you can you say yours? <laughs> Not Spicavian. <laughs> well, find I, him on my Twitter to follow list. <laughs> I, 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 I will definitely uh, ha- have links to both of those yeah, in the show Twitter notes. Yeah, and um, and we've also got the Lightseekers Twitter and the Lightseekers TCG, which is probably better for the for the card gamers specifically. I mean, yeah, yeah but I mean, I, yeah, we don't mind asking questions though. So if yeah. you do have any questions, feel free to direct them us or Lightseekers at uh, TCG. Uh, not spicavian, it's obvious. There you go. Not <laughs> Yep. <laughs> All right. Thank you both. Um, that's all we have for this week. So we'll see you soon. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot. That's it for episode three that finishes off our opening series. A huge thank you going out to Chris and Benny for taking so much time out of their day to put these interviews together with me. And a huge thank you as well to the entire Lightseekers team who has been extremely supportive as I got Delivery Crab up and running as well as the podcast. They've been so amazing. And I can't wait to meet them in person in actually a little under two weeks now as they're going to be at PAX Unplugged in Philadelphia. This is a convention um around basically non-video games, I guess board games, card games, that type of thing. It's November 17th through 19th of this year in Philadelphia. It's the first year they're running this show, and I think it's going to be really exciting, really really good exposure for any game developer, especially those of the board and card variety. So if you're in the area or if you feel like taking a trip, I believe some tickets are still available. Consider making it out that way to see them. I think it's going to be a really good time. But like I said, that's all we have for this opening series. We have plenty more to come. I already got some interviews in the pipeline. There will be plenty more episodes. If you like what you've heard so far, please, please, please hit that subscribe button, whether it be in iTunes or whatever podcast service you use. This is just one of those little things you can do to not only gain exposure for the show, but ultimately exposure for light seekers, which is what this is all about. For need more buffs and deliverycrab.com, I'm your host, Matt Sonnenberg, and I got some more deliveries to make.